The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. This morning, our scripture reading is going to be from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. Good morning, Park Church. It's good to see you all, to see some new faces. Welcome to Park Church. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Glad you're here with us to see a lot of faces that I haven't seen in a while. It's a big day, kind of reopening Park Kids, and so for a lot of families, it's your first time back in the building, so welcome. We just want to welcome you all, uh, families, and uh, many thanks to the volunteers downstairs who are Uh, serving and blessing to teach your kids about Jesus, but also uh, serve you by giving you space to be up here and worship uh, as a church family. And so we've been praying for this day, praying for your children, praying for you, for our families, for their safety, for your safety, but also for the Holy Spirit to pour out his goodness on us, that we as a people would worship him, know the love of God, and be transformed by it, both kids and and as adults. And so we're glad you're here. Uh, A couple of things before we dive in. We are in our third part of a series through what we're calling the gospel of the kingdom. So we've been in a series through the gospel of Matthew for a couple of years. Before we dive back in next week, uh, we're talking about this big theme of the gospel of Matthew, which is the gospel of the kingdom. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the announcement in Matthew chapter four, where Jesus announces the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. As Jesus comes, he's come to establish the kingdom of God, of, of God reconciling people to God, to his family, but also inviting us to be restored to the kingdom. And then last week, we looked at the role of the cross in the kingdom, that the cross of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion on the cross, where he paid for our sins, where he shed his blood to bear the wrath of God on our behalf, to give us forgiveness and grace and love and reconciliation, that it's both the way into the kingdom, the cross is the way into the kingdom, and it's the way of the kingdom. In other words, the, the way of the kingdom, that the people that are in relationship with God are supposed to live that sort of life, this self-giving love for others, that we lay down our lives for the good of other people. And what we're looking at today is this concept of the kingdom movement, or the movement of the gospel of the kingdom, and how we are, as a people, called to participate in it. And so I'm excited to get into this text with you, just to give you, again, a little bit of a heads up of where we're headed. We'll jump back into the Sermon of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount next week. And then on February 17th, it's the beginning of the season of Lent. And so February 17th is Ash Wednesday. It's the sort of like the gateway, the doorway into the season of Lent where the church throughout generations and generations around the world have taken time in a season leading up to Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and then Easter to remember the reality that as human beings who have sinned against God, that the wages of sin is death. In other words, the destruction and the pain and the mortality that we feel as human beings is a consequence of human sin. And that's not a popular thing uh, to talk about in our world, but it's so important as Christians to actually look hard at the reality of the cost of our sin and what Jesus did to pay that price 
on our behalf. It helps us both face reality, the, the painful realities in this world and within us, but it also kind of increases within us a sense of the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross, uh, the beauty of the good news, the gospel, the glory of Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection. And so we'd invite you to participate with us. On Ash Wednesday, we have a service at 6.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. here in the building. The 6.30 p.m. service, we will be live streaming for any uh, to tune in from home. And so 6.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., February 17th. We'll also be kind of inviting uh, as a church us into some practices throughout the season of Lent, uh, throughout church history, taking time to fast from food on Wednesdays. We're going to be talking about that, taking time to think about are there things in your own life to abstain from, to cultivate within you a deeper focus on Christ, his love, and his kingdom. So we'll share more uh, in the weeks to come about that. Uh, But want you to begin to prepare your heart uh, and uh, kind of mark it on your calendars for February 17th. Uh, So that's coming up. Uh, We need... God's grace here and now for this passage today. One of my favorite lines is at the end of this passage where Jesus says, look, I'm with you always, all the time. I'm with you, even to the end of the age. So as we gather here as the people of God in the midst of this world where there's both beauty and brokenness, we experience the power of the Spirit, but we also experience brokenness and conflict within us and around us, that God is with us. Jesus is with us. So let's pray right now that His Holy Spirit would speak to us with clarity, with passion, and that he'd work in us as his people. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we come right now with gratitude that you are faithfully present with us. And there are probably uh, people in this room and maybe tuning in online who don't yet know you, that don't know your presence, that don't know your grace and your love and your nearness. So I pray today, God, your spirit would awaken them, that the God of the universe loves them. He's displayed that love in Christ crucified and risen and that you want to know them. You want to be in relationship with them, and I pray that you would awaken them to your presence, your grace, your forgiveness, your love, your nearness, and hope that you provide. Awaken people today. And for your people that have felt maybe wandering or weary or disconnected from you relationally, God, I pray you would revive us again, uh, that you'd fill our hearts with an awareness of your love, and that you'd kindle our souls again with passion, with fire, with um, a real sense of zeal for what you've called us to be about in this world. It's beautiful that you've invited us to participate in your mission. Would you overwhelm us with the privilege and the glory of that calling and that we as a people would be a part of what you're doing in the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I, uh, years ago, had an, an image. Uh, it's kind of one of those like laying in bed at night and these kind of like, it's like metaphor that like just kind of came on fast. That I feel like gave me a sense of clarity for some stuff that I was wrestling through and some stuff I had just been thinking about in my own kind of walk with Jesus. And the, and the image was, uh, it was something like this. It was kind of two alternate kind of realities. One is I want you to imagine that you were a part of a manufacturing company. Okay, you're a part of a manufacturing company and you wake up every day and you go to work and you clock in at work and you have tasks that you need to do. And you like know the tasks more or less and you have this vague sense of what the tasks are. Uh, but you do these tasks kind of day in and day out without a kind of strong awareness of their cooperation with other things. No big picture about what 
the company you're doing is actually building and participating in. You just get up and you, you do the things you're supposed to do. And in this particular company, it's tasks like, you know, some days you're getting up on scaffolding and nailing in wood to this broader frame. So like some days you get up on the scaffolding and you nail the wood into the frame and you just do it. You just nail in the next nail, next nail, next nail and do your job. Some days it has to do something with uh, working in a lumber mill. Some days you're actually kind of sawing down trees. Some days you're like staining things and painting things and putting some water sealer on stuff. And you just like know these are the things I do day in and day out. And their kind of connection to the other things other people are doing and their connection to some big picture is far from your mind. And then to kind of like think about that, you kind of feel in time, it gets a little bit menial, sometimes mundane, but you have the sense, I should do it. Everybody around me is doing it. And when I don't do it, I feel kind of guilty. Why? Well, you have this vague sense that a supervisor is watching you and uh, kind of wants you to do a good job. And at the end of every day, kind of gives you this kind of like scorecard of satisfactory or unsatisfactory. And when you get an unsatisfactory card, like you didn't do a good job today, you kind of feel some shame and some guilt. And you think like, oh, I don't want to feel that anymore. So I want to do a good job tomorrow. And, uh, and so you try to do a good job tomorrow. Then you're also haunted by this other kind of like distant kind of awareness that it, it seems that at the end of your career, there's going to be some sort of like kind of accumulation of all your scorecards and some assessment of how satisfactory or unsatisfactory your kind of efforts have been and that something about your future or your retirement kind of like kind of comforts are going to be somehow connected to how well you did in this life. And so you want to do a good job because you want to end everything with a sense of like, I did a good job. And, and so that's the sort of like environment that you're day-to-day -day doing the things you do in. And the problem with that is that you start feeling, again, a sense of obligation, kind of like passionless duty, disconnected from any broad vision of anything else in the world. And I think a lot of people approach Christianity like that, or at least the practices of Christianity. You think, I ought to do some things, right? There's some things that it seems like people that are part of Christianity do. I, I should read my Bible. I should go to church. I should be kind. I should forgive people. I should care about my neighbors. I should pray. I should, you know, be a part of something that's serving the city. I should do these things. And when I'm doing a good job, I feel kind of good. And when I'm doing a bad job, I feel kind of like bad. And I hope in the grand scheme of things that I did more kind of good than bad. And it just feels like a lackluster approach to life. So you feel kind of the menial, mundane, kind of like duty of the things that Christians do. There's no passion. There's no zeal. There's no sense of purpose. So I want you to think about that as one alternative. And I want you to imagine now another alternative. Imagine you're not working for a manufacturing company. You, you live on this island. And on this island, it, you're aware it, it is inhabitable, but there's not enough resources for flourishing humanity. You don't have enough resources to build like sustainable structures, storms swell in and swell out and knock the kind of work that you've been doing. You work really hard and it gets disrupted and kind of all the sense. But what's, what's powerful about your life on this island is you live in close relationship with the community family and friends that you're living life with. And, and throughout the weeks, you get together and some of the elders in the community, some of the older folks in the community that have been around and have stories that have been passed on to them, share with you something that's kind of important to frame your existence in that reality. They actually share that, that you belong to a different kind of world, that you belong to a world where there's flourishing and abundance and life and beauty and goodness and glory and that something about decisions you've made and, and other people have made have left you in this place, but together you get to participate 
in a movement to bring restoration, to actually get you away from this place into back to this place of flourishing. And so as they kind of share with you this story, they, they share with you, man, there's, there are things we can do. We can, we can actually build a ship. And so we're going to need some people to go out and gather lumber. We're going to need people to mill the lumber. We're going to need people to get, get up on scaffolding and nail the lumber in. We're going to need to waterproof the lumber. And we're going to need to do this together with co- cooperation and love and appreciation for each other because we're a part of this mission that's leading towards this longing for human flourishing that we all have, that there's a better life that we have to live and we're going to have to work together to engage. And just that framework itself kind of takes the same exact tasks and puts them in the context of a mission of a purpose, of longing, of things that you desire, things that you want, and it helps flood and infuse those same things with passion. Now, the analogy breaks down because God is inviting us into a mission that is not about escaping this world here and now. It's not about escaping. It's about his mission to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is, it is, as it is in heaven. But it's a mission that we have actually a part to play in. We have a part to play in it, that Jesus is on a mission. One of my favorite um, lines from the Chronicles of Narnia is in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the beaver says to the Pevensey kids, he says, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. It's been winter for a long, long time, but Aslan is on the move. He may have already landed. In other words, like God is doing something in the world. He is right now. In the midst of all of these things that we face, that you face individually, we're facing corporately, Jesus is on the move. And he's inviting us as a people. He's inviting you individually and us as a people to participate in his kingdom mission. That's the thrust of what the Great Commission is about. Jesus is on the move. And he's inviting us to participate, to play a part in his kingdom mission. Now, part of the problem we're talking about mission in a church is a lot of us have this uh, false sense that mission is something that missionaries do, that we kind of like work to pay for people to go somewhere and do something, or mission is just about evangelism, which it is. We'll actually talk a little bit about that. But when we talk about the mission of God, it is this all-encompassing mission that truly engages and intersects with every single aspect of your life, with your job, with your sexuality, with your friendships, with your location where you live, with your hobbies and your culture, with your finances and your resources, that what God's inviting us into connects with everything. And my fear is that we as a people would at times lose sight of the big picture, especially in a season like this where it feels like there's just so much that's disrupted, that just surviving and kind of navigating through the chaotic waters of life kind of makes us forget what's, what's the big picture of what God's doing right now. And so what I want us to see this morning is, is to see the big picture and actually to be encouraged. Jesus is on the move and to be motivated to engage, to participate, because we've been invited into this beautiful vision that God has for the world. And so what I'm going to do this morning is kind of unpack three pieces uh, of this. We'll get to Matthew chapter 28, but first we're going to look at the origin of this kingdom movement, the origin of it. We're going to look at the dynamics of the kingdom movement and the opportunity that we have right here and right now. Um, as you think about kind of what, what it means to be a part of a movement, I want to kind of start with this concept that you were made, you're made to be a part of a kingdom movement. It's a part of your inherent identity as a human being. Every human being was made to be a part of God's plan for the world. 
So you see this in Genesis 1 and 2. It's a really powerful passage. We go back to it often as a church because it lays a foundation for the way you think about the world and life. And in the beginning, God is this creator king that's creating this kingdom. We've talked about it the past couple weeks. And he creates this kingdom. He creates the heavens and the earth and everything in them. He populates the heavens with stars and planets and luminaries and sun and moon. He populates the earth with plants and animals. And at the sort of culmination of this creation work, he creates human beings in his image. A very unique kind of identity as human beings that we were created in the image of God. That something about our very kind of nature as a human being is to reflect something of God's character to the world in both who we are and in what we do. That we as human beings are designed to reflect God's glory both in who we are and in what we do. So human beings are created with diverse giftings and strengths and per- perspectives and are supposed to use those giftings in ways that reflect God's character of self-giving love in such a way that shows the world something about what God's like. And so humans are planted in this garden. It's the Garden of Eden to bear his image. Supposed to be in relationship with him. Supposed to be reflecting his character in who we are and what we do. And so what is the what we do side of that? What's the sort of mission? Well, the mission in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is, is really clear. It's this mission to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So be fruitful, multiply, spread, fill the earth. And so the Garden of Eden was this like geographically situated garden, this paradise, this sort of arboreal trees and rivers and plants, like a garden, like this park that's full of beauty and abundance. But it's in this specific space and humanity is supposed to kind of like extend the boundaries of the garden until the glory of God and the abundance and the flourishing of creation fills the whole earth like the waters cover the sea. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the whole earth and subdue it. The word subdue it isn't like dominate it. It's not domineer over it. It's about culture making. Um, Andy Crouch uh, in his book defines culture making as what humans make of the world what we make of the world. The idea is that God created the world with this latent potential, like all of this potential that's like ready to be cultivated and brought out, right, of the world. And you as a human being were designed to participate in making something of the world and doing it in a way of self-giving love to work towards the common good and flourishing of other human beings that the glory and the abundance and the order and the beauty of God's creation would continue to fill the earth. If you're made for it, Right? So your job isn't an incidental part of your life, right? Some Christians think like, I work my job to pay the bills, to upgrade my lifestyle. Some people think I work the job to pay the church to do meaningful things or missionaries. But that's not it. It's not incidental. It's foundational. It's fundamental to who you are as a human being. That you are designed by God to go into the world and to use the gifts and the resources God's given you to make something of the world. And it was the design from the beginning, right? So there's grain in the world, right? There's grain. Well, human beings can go and organize that and gather that and plant it and harvest that, and we can make bread of the grain. We can make bread. And after we've made bread, we can learn how to make cinnamon rolls, and then we can figure out how to make glaze, and you could even sprinkle bacon on the glaze, and that is culture making, right? That's a part of what it means to be human, right? You can participate in things like that. 
you can participate as a human being in making music, and you can participate in making art, and as music and art reflect something about God's beauty and artistry and creativity in ways that are compelling and attractive to people that can't do what you do as an artist or musician in any way, you say, hey, I'll give you bread if you play me music, right? And, but that trade doesn't work all the time. So now it's like, hey, I want to hear good music, and this person wants bread, but this person builds homes, and now we need commerce, and we need an economy, we need currency. And as we continue to fill the earth, we need kind of more shelters. We need ways to kind of transport from different places and to communicate with one another. And so you now have communication systems and transportation systems and economic systems. And we need ways to work together to care for people that are struggling in different ways. So now you have like governments of some sort that are working towards the flourishing of different people and helping pool resources to care for certain needs. And, and you have these kind of like concepts. And this is what humans were designed for. It's what you were designed for. Right? Think about, I, I thought about, I was like, what, what are the other things? I was, I was praying about this, and I looked out the window, and I saw, it's like, oh, windows, right? Glass. Sand can be melted at really high temperatures, and you can make glass with it. So you can put a window on a shelter, and it makes the shelter safer, but you can still see outside that shelter. You could also take that glass and put it on an automobile. We made those things. You know, that's amazing. You could put it on a Tesla. That exists, you know, and, and that's culture making. You could also take that glass, and you could stretch out into these really fine, like string-like fibers. And you could shine light through the fibers in different intervals, and, and you can stretch those strings and strands of fibers that send these optical images all around a city. And then you can like call your grandma on Zoom, right? And you can watch the Chiefs play the Super Bowl. You can watch Patrick Mahomes show the world there's a new sheriff in town. You can do that because of sand, because of sand, right? Like these are things we can, we can do as human beings. And it's what we are designed to do. It's a part of the flourishing of the world. It's a part of the flourishing of the world. And so the image in Genesis 1 and 2 is fill the whole place with abundance and glory. Be in relationship with God. Reflect his image in who you are and in what you do. And do it until the whole world is full of the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. That's the image of humanity. And so when you go all the way to Genesis or Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it's like the end of that story. And that is the picture of Revelation 21, 22. It's this garden city paradise that fills the whole earth where human beings are in relationship with God, kind of in this sinless, harmonious relationship with one another, and living in a corporeal, tangible, material, and spiritual existence where heaven and earth are one. It's the end of the picture. The beginning and the end, these bookends of what God's doing in the world, the mission of God that we get to participate in. It's beautiful. It's compelling. It makes sense of your work tomorrow. It makes sense of family. It makes sense of friendships. It makes sense of culture and food and drink and art and commerce and economy and communications and transport. Like it, it makes sense of the things we do. But in the reality of what we see in life, it seems like something's gone wrong, and it has, right? In, in the biblical story, we reject the reign of God, and in that place, we're, sec we're recon or kind of separated from the relationship. In that separation from the relationship, in the absence of that loving communion with God, we now have in us this, like, corruption that's breaking the way we relate to one another, but it's breaking the sort of societies we build, the structures we do. And so even though there is beauty all around us. There's also brokenness all around us and brokenness within us. And so when you get to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, our landing place, when you get to the Great Commission, Jesus has come into the world to restore humanity to our original design, to our original design, 
not just getting people to heaven when they die, but actually reconciling us in that relationship, restoring within us through the power of the Spirit this image, this character, and unleashing us in the world to be human, to do the things humans ought to do, but no longer to build myself up, no longer to just upgrade my lifestyle at the expense of other people, no longer to kind of just like add comfort upon comfort to my life, but to do it in a Jesus-y way, which is with self-giving love for other people. So to be human, to do the things God's called you to do, but to do it with self-giving love. And the image in the gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is inviting his people to be a part of that renewal project, this kingdom project. So the second thing, if that's the origins of it, what I want to look at now is the, the dynamics. What's involved in this kingdom movement? Well, in Matthew 28, it's three things. One is reconciliation. Two, transformation. Three, multiplication. Reconciliation, transformation, multiplication. It's right there in the passage. Look at Matthew 28. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's laid down his life, sacrificed his life for our sins, paid our debt, borne the wrath of God on our behalf, given us a righteousness through which we're accepted by God. And, and he stands as king and says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. I'm the king of the kingdom of God. And I'm here. So go and make disciples of all nations. We'll come back to that tag. And here's how he describes what it means to make disciples. Baptizing them. It's two participles. Baptizing them and teaching them. It's a part of what it means to make disciples. is baptizing and teaching. Baptism is a sacrament given to the church to celebrate the fact that we can be reconciled to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That human beings who had turned from the relationship with God and tried to do things on our own, can be reconciled to God the Father, Son, and Spirit, brought into this community of love, filled up with his Spirit, become a child of the Father, and walk in the way of Jesus in this world. Like, that's reconciliation. That we get to be reconciled to God. That's a part of what it means to be human, is to be in relationship with God. And so for some people, you've never been in relationship with God. You don't feel connected to God in any way. You were made to be in relationship with him, to know his love, to know his nearness. Others of you have been reconciled, but you're not living as though you were reconciled. You experience a union with God, like you're in relationship, but you're not living into communion with God. You're not enjoying the intimacy of that relationship. You're not spending time with your father. You're not enjoying the presence of Jesus. You're not walking in step with the spirit. So there's this invitation to live into who you're designed to be, reconciled to God in relationship with him. It's about restoring humanity to your original design in relationship with God. But it's also about transformation, not just baptizing them. It's teaching them. It's teaching them to not learn in their heads, but to observe in their lives all that I've commanded you. And so Jesus had spent this ministry showing people what God's like and teaching people what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemies, to, to do good to those who harm you, to forgive people, to serve people, to bless people, to encourage people, to have humility and kindness towards people, to have integrity in who you are. And these, these kind of commands of Jesus or the instructions that he gave, a part of being a human is learning to follow Jesus, not with these kind of disconnected, arbitrary rules, but to learn from Jesus what it means to be human. To go back to what does it mean to be a person that's bearing the image of God, that's following Jesus, who is the exact imprint of God's nature in human form, and to look at him and say, that's humanity. 
I'm going to follow that way. It's a different way than political leaders. It's a different way than kind of cultural celebrities. It's a different way than the sort of cultural narratives. For some in this room, it's different than what your parents longed for and longed kind of from you. It's looking at Jesus and saying, this is the way. And and following him on that way where there's wandering and there's setbacks and there's failures and there's regrets, but doing it all in this relationship that's secured by the love of Christ. It's not contingent on how good you did or bad you did today. You're on a journey of transformation, actually experiencing change. But then that unleashes you tomorrow to go into your workplace as a different kind of human. Not somebody that's like, kind of spinning your wheels to to kind of get more and more for yourself, not something that's like clawing up a ladder to prove that you're better than somebody else or prove that you're worth something to some voice that's echoing from your past. It's not about kind of like building more and more comforts and kind of sucking everything you can out of the world. It's about self-giving love, that your job tomorrow as you work in communications or education or healthcare or government or service industries or business or uh, entrepreneurial work of any kind, what you're thinking is how is God gifted me to engage in this world to work towards the common good. And that matters. It really matters. It was a part of who you were made to be. It's a part of God's mission for the world. We as a church want to be breathing wind in your sails as you go back to the different vocations that you have, whether those are raising children, working in the home, paid, unpaid, volunteer, outside the home, traveling, that you just feel like God is with me and cares about the work I do. It's a part of the mission of filling the earth with his glory. Because the reality is, even when human beings turn from God's presence and turn from his reign, we kept filling the earth. We kept filling the earth. We kept multiplying people who were born. And the mission of the church is to multiply people who are born again. We're saying about it before, I've been born again into your family. Uh, It's kind of a phrase that the church used a lot in the past, but it's a very biblical phrase, John chapter 3 that unless someone is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That there's something about humanity that's alive, but not alive. Like there's something about humans in the world that we're, we're living, but not living, and actually need a work of the Spirit of God to make us alive. And so part of the mission of the church is to spread the good news through which people cannot just kind of be human, separated from God, but the good news that humans can be made alive, born again, and kind of be grafted into this beautiful mission that God's designed us for. And then we still go back into the workplaces, we still go back into the neighborhoods, you still go back into your small group, and you engage in the things humans engage in, and you do it with a new sense of purpose, with a sense of passion, a sense of kind of zeal, that you get to participate in this mission that God's on to fill the earth with his glory. So it's reconciliation with God, it's transformation to increasingly show the character of God as you live and work in the world and it's multiplication it's make disciples Jesus says of all nations and that's this idea of like this good news has to spread it has to spread the world is now full of people but we get to be a part of the good news of God's kingdom spreading to more and more people that they can experience reconciliation your neighbor doesn't have to go through life disconnected from the God of the universe Wondering if anybody sees them, if anybody knows them, if anybody loves them. Wondering if anybody can support them or care for them or or help them. Wondering if there's any way to atone for their mistakes or their failures from the past. Living in regret and shame and fear and kind kind of stacking different ways on their life to kind of avoid the painful feelings and that brokenness that just crushes human beings. Your neighbor, your coworker doesn't have to feel that anymore. 
God sent his son into the world to free them from that, to forgive them, to wash them, to demonstrate his love for them. We get to multiply that good news where people can be reconciled to God. We also get to multiply transformation when you go to a small group and you hear a friend or a family member or somebody sharing about what's going on in their life and the stuff they're struggling through in their marriage or the discouragement they feel in their workplace or the thing they're fighting against in their personal life. And you get to be a part of their transformation process as you show them love and work with them and encourage them in the way of Jesus. And they get to be a part of your transformation process. This is multiplying disciples. And this mission has been rolling and rolling and rolling for generations. And we have a part to play right now. Right now. Today. As a people. As an individual person, you have a part to play as you go and relate to the people you live with in your household. Family, friends, roommates. You have a part to play as you go to work and think about how are you going to think about your work? What kind of person are you going to be at work? How do you love your employees? How do you love your coworkers? How do you love the people you serve through the work you do? It's a part of God's design. It's not incidental. It's fundamental to who you're designed to be. But also we get to participate in the movement of the gospel. As you share the good news of Christ with a neighbor, as you pray for a friend or a family member or a coworker, that God would pour out grace on them and give you opportunities to share with them the good news that God loves them and he demonstrated his love in Christ crucified and risen. They can experience his love, be transformed by it, and participate in what God's doing in the world. This is good news. I think the opportunity we have right now is powerful as well. Um, throughout history, there's been this pattern of crisis that leads to renewal. Uh, we talked about this, uh, Mark Sayers an author uh, out of Melbourne, Australia. He wrote a book called The Reappearing Church. And uh, in it, he's talking about these kind of the history of renewal and the dynamics of what happens when churches and cities just like get filled up with this kind of renewed sense of purpose and vision and passion and excitement. And as he looks at it through, throughout history, this is written back 2019, 2018, 2019. And we read it as a staff in 2019. We're processing, praying about it. We preached about it in the fall of 2019, all before COVID happened in this sense of like God's doing something. Like the tectonic plates in our culture were shifting if you're like paying attention to sort of like anthropology and the broader like cultural climate, you could feel something was unstable and something was awry and the sort of project of trying to build this utopic environment without God's presence was not, it was like, it was, it was fracturing at a foundational level. And then you hit 2020 and everything just erupts, not just because of the pandemic, but all the sort of latent volatility and animosity and angst and emotional anxiety that existed in the world just erupted on so many levels and so many fronts. It's like this is, this is a part of the pattern through which God often brings renewal to a community. Because the, the project of trying to build this life apart from God, focusing on the kingdoms we can build here and now for ourselves versus the kingdom of God where his presence is at the center, this has been disrupted and it kind of invites all of us to reconsider what we're living for to reconsider why we're here and to be renewed in our sense of purpose and passion. Even people who don't yet know Jesus are, are kind of a spiritual longing that kind of comes back. It's like, what are we here for? And it's in those places that God throughout history has done beautiful things to people that were leaning in. And I think Jesus is on the move, not just generally in creation, but I think particularly here now in the city. 
God's doing beautiful things in churches around the city. And my fear is that we'll get lost in the sort of divisions of how are you handling COVID to mask or not to mask? How are you engaging kind of in public kind of like questions and conversations? And, and we kind of get this angst and we feel like disconnected. And I get, I get why there's so much disconnection. It's a hard time to be connected, right? There's so many people worshiping online with us. It's hard. But that we don't want to lose sight of the big picture of what God's doing that we get so derailed by the sort of like, in the big picture, relatively inconsequential debates that we have about COVID policies or something like that, that we lose sight of what it means to be the people of God and to lean into what he's doing in the world right here, right now. And so my invitation to you is to consider how you can personally participate. For some of you that has something to do with reconnecting with God, um, actually reconnecting with God. Maybe there are some who have never been in relationship with God. You've been around the church. But the idea of like knowing him and being known by him, of walking with him daily, of enjoying his presence, knowing his love, letting him speak into your life, spending time in his word, listening for his Holy Spirit to guide and lead. It's not been a part of your life. There's an opportunity right now to say, I want to be involved in what God's doing in the world. And I just need to lean back into God. Some of you have just felt, you feel very distant. Like you, you know you're a child of God, but you just feel disconnected. It's a chance to lean back in to who you were made to be in relationship with God. Another thing for some, it might be re-engaging with the church. And I don't say this as like, we need people to, we, you were made to be a part of the family of God, this kingdom project together. And I know that there have been reasons why I've been hard to be engaged. We get that. We get that. There's tons of grace. I hope we have grace towards one another as we try to navigate a really complex time. But right now, what does it look like to re-engage, to lean in, back to your small group, back to worship on Sundays, whether here in person or online, but say, we want to be a part of a, a community that's rehearsing the story of God, that's working together, worshiping God, and living on mission as a community, to re-engage. God's doing beautiful things in this church family. I don't want us to get kind of lose sight of the big picture. But the third piece is to renew your own personal sense of purpose. To renew your sense of purpose as you think about what has God given you? What vocations? Raising kids, volunteering, going to the workplace, your neighborhood, your education, whatever it is that God's put before you here and now, what does it mean to renew your sense of purpose? Like these things matter. They matter to God and I'm gonna do it with intentionality and passion and not just sort of like go through the motions as if I work in a factory somewhere. But I want to be a part of the big picture of what God's doing in the world. Participate in it with a sense of anticipation that God, through his people, is doing a beautiful thing in the world. And we get to do that and lean into that even as we wait for him to come again and make all things new. It's a beautiful opportunity and my encouragement to us. Jesus is on the move. Let's lean in and participate in what God's doing in the world. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we ask right now for your grace to be poured out on all of the people of Park Church. Both here in person and online, God, would you pour out your spirit in powerful, powerful ways. There are some who don't yet know you, and we pray your spirit would be poured out right now. The sense of, I, I know that I'm like living, but I don't feel like I'm living, living. I don't even know if I'm alive. And so, God, would you pour out grace on them that you would awaken them to your love, that you would cause them to be born again, that you would make them alive by your grace, and that they'd know your love and know what it means to be your child in this world. 
Uh, God, for those that have been wandering and feel disconnected, would you pour out grace on them to restore them to sweet communion with you, times with you, where there's feels like there's like barriers or just some distance in a relationship? God, would you would you allow people to know your nearness and love for them? Thanks for your patience. Would you help us as a church to work together to be a part of what you're doing in the world? Through the gospel of Jesus, bring renewal to the ends of the earth. Would you do powerful things? And would you give all of us a sense of purpose in our own calling? What you've called us to, the homes, the families, the households, the workplaces, the schools, the opportunities you put before us to give us passion, joy, anticipation for the things you've invited us to be a part of. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.